0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, Price and Coverage Match Limited by State Law.
1: Welcome to another episode of OUINSIDER.com's podcast. I'm joined by OUI staff writer, Colin Kennedy. Colin, how you doing, man? I'm
0: doing well, RJ. How are you today?
1: Uh, I'm good because we have news to talk about and in this industry. One of the things that I take a look at quite a bit is, you know, news or lack thereof. And with Mother's Day coming and going, we had kids announcing. And then earlier today, uh, I think we ought to get started with this. Quite honestly, uh, Zach Evans is enrolled at Texas Christian University. Apparently, I'm still the only person that says Texas Christian University. But uh, all the—I mean—that's their first five-star ever in the history of the program. And this is not necessarily the kind of guy that Gary Patterson usually goes out of his way to go get. But now you have the second highest rated recruiting the 2020 class uh, behind B. John Robinson, right, in in the Big 12. And all of a sudden, Texas Christian is going to be a lot of fun this year.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, they, they made some moves in the offseason. I think, obviously, OU fans kind of had their eyebrows pick up when they saw Mark Jackson go to DCU. And mm. I thought, you know what, that's a good fit. I'm sure we could elaborate on that if we want to. But the big news of the day and probably the rest of the recruiting off-season right now with Zach Evans joining TCU. I mean, it's kind of crazy. They go get Quentin Johnson from from Texas. He becomes, what, their second-highest recruit in the program at the time, and then mm-hmm. now they get the number one in terms of Zach Evans. Uh, look, I know that TCU recently has had some guys deal with off-the-field issues that have hurt the program. I mean, Devontae Turpin is a prime example. When he left, that program took a major step back. And Jalen Rager, he, he kind of struggled with it. A lot of guys just saw what can happen when players make detrimental decisions away from the football field. That being said, I think Zach Evans is a kid that has made strides and is wanting to, to improve who he is. And at the end of the day, that's all you can ask for because I mean, you're going to take a guy who has comparisons to Adrian Peterson, especially when you're at TCU, who I don't think we're talking about this enough. I mean, not only do they get their five-star running back first five-star in and in his but it's also a great fit at a position of need right now. I mean, Darius Jett Anderson and Shiloh alonalua both left the program and are now undrafted free agents with the Dallas Cowboys. So they lost two of their most contributing running backs this offseason, and they don't really have very many answers at that stage. So getting Zach Evans, that fills that position, and getting someone to help out Duggan, I mean, continue to develop as a quarterback, that's a huge issue. So, I mean, Evans is going to absolutely tear it up on the football field if he's able to play. There's no doubt in my mind. But overall, I think TCU – Taking this risk is is calculated. I mean, they needed someone at running back. They wanted to get someone to to have them talking about this program across college football. And if it pans out, I mean, TCU could very, really benefit from this moving forward on the recruiting trail. So I'm excited to see how it pans out. But, I mean, this is a monster move by Gary Patterson and the
1: Frogs. Yeah, two things that you said I want to touch on, which are great points. One is Kevante Turpin and what he meant to that program when he was returning kicks and when he was catching passes coming out of the backfield, those sorts of things, uh, basically doing what Jalen Rager was doing for them a year ago. And Turpin gave Oklahoma all kinds of fits. And we're, we're used to that. Right. On uh, the other point that you made about Qu- Quentin, Johnston, who we thought was going to end up at Texas with the, the Snapchat commit announcement shouts to him that uh, coming out of temple. I was like, okay, I'm down with this. I'm, I'm fine with this. Uh, you know, uh, Friend uh, Shayhan Jayaraja works for uh, works at I should say TexasFootball dot com covering high school football and college football in general. But he made the joke that TCU should switch to the wishbone. Changed my mind. And I'm going. That's a good way to get Quentin Johnston to transfer. So uh, I'm I'm okay with that. <laughs> uh, that said, I think it's really nodding to what Max Duggan was able to do in in the run game because I mean there weren't a whole bunch of bright spots for Texas Christian on the offensive side of the ball when they played Oklahoma, but one of them was watching Max Duggan run all kinds of wild and I I'd be interested to see what a Texas spread type of look looks like with Zach Evans back there and I guess that's kind of the point now you get to do some stuff right you you have a home run hitter at tailback and you have a guy that we're all gonna watch and then I was looking at their non-con and you're talking about Temple you're talking about Wagner I mean uh, I gotta take a look at it to remember who the third team is though uh, let's see Texas Christian. But you're also talking about a team that all of a sudden gets to jump up and have something to say about this Big 12 race, which I found to be really interesting. Because outside of Oklahoma, what do we expect? We expected Texas to maybe be there, but both of their coordinators are installing new schemes. And you also don't know what you're going to get from Sam Ellinger in that scheme. But more than that, uh, Oklahoma State is supposed to be something like a dark horse to to go and win it because they returned their three-headed monster And Chuba Hubbard, Spencer Sanders, and Tylan Wallace. Alright, so I'm looking at the 2020 schedule. Oh, I was totally wrong. Uh, California. So that ought to be fun. Prairie View A&M and SMU. Ooh, that SMU game could be cool.
0: Oh, Oh, that SMU
1: game could be a brawl. Oh, and it's at SMU. It's at Gerald Ford. Oh, now I'm... I'm here to tell you right now. Oh, man, I was just going to say, like, because that's... I mean... TCU thinks it's better than SMU and, and you know so forth so on because like you you'd be the guy to ask about this does it go TCU SMU North Texas is that how it goes there? Yeah absolutely
0: I would okay. say TCU SMU North Texas I mean SMU okay. just recently surged you know okay. what I mean
1: yeah okay well I mean and then they get Oklahoma State in Fort Worth they got to go to Morgantown. They get Kansas State in Fort Worth. They got to go to to Waco, but that ought to be good. They get Oklahoma in Fort Worth. They get Iowa State in Fort Worth. Got to go to Austin. they get Texas Tech in Fort Worth. Got to go to to Kansas. Look, that's a a decent schedule, dude. Yeah, I
0: mean, they they get OU in TCU, so you get the conference favorite at home. Mm -hmm. I think you get SMU is a big-time game that a lot of people are going to be watching in Mm -hmm. the non-con. So, look, I mean— TCU's taking this, and they're just saying to themselves, we got a chance to make some moves. And so when you pick up a guy in Zach Evans, like, hey, I mean, go for it. So I'm excited to see how it works. I I think if I were Texas Christian, I would assume the same as we're talking about. Maybe the Big 12 is a little bit more wide open Mm -hmm. than we always talk about it being. I mean, Oklahoma State, don't get me wrong, the Big 3 coming back is huge, and I'm a huge fan of all three of those guys. But at the end of the day, you still got to play with 22, 24 guys on that field. And, I mean, three, you can only speak to the extent of impact that they can have. So Oklahoma State, it kind of varies for me what they can actually pull off. Baylor, you just don't know what the health and some of the losses that they had in the offseason. Iowa State, maybe they make a surge. I mean, who knows? At the end of the day, TCU has a very real opportunity to make some push in the conference. And I think another reason – you brought up, and this is really fascinating for me, is Duggan. Because, I mean, now you can play, like you're saying, with what you want to do offensively. I mean, the, the zone read, speed options, some of those schematics that can pull off with Evans and Duggan in the backfield, I don't know how a defensive coordinator would really be able to plan for it because TCU, quite frankly, hasn't had some sort of running presence like that in a while. So, overall, this is a really nice scheme fit. It's something that's going to help Duggan's progression and development as a quarterback. And it makes TCU just that more dangerous in a conference that
1: may be a bit more wide open than we perceive at this stage. It also proves to me that Gary Patterson can recruit when he wants to. Uh, again, I should say, mm-hmm. I should prove again, because like still uh, up until this point, his greatest coup to me was Ty Summers. And I picked Ty Summers not because he was highly you know, regarded as a recruit, but because Ty Summers was committed to play quarterback at Rice and Gary Patterson convinced him to play linebacker at TCU that that's a switch man like he <laughs> and then he ends up making it play in and then moving him back to linebacker and because he's so versatile they call him captain America that's still one of my favorite recruiting stories it's like how do you turn a quarterback into a linebacker when he has an offer to play FBS quarterback right now it's like wait a second that's wild um and it, and it it worked because, mm-hmm. I mean, the guys still with the Green Bay Packers, right? Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. You're right. It worked. And that's the other part about Patterson. He has a tremendous track record for getting guys into the NFL and then them having successful careers as well as being, you know, top three round picks. I mean, we just saw Jalen Rager. Uh, we saw Jeff Gladney. Before that, there's Ben Banigou. uh There's LJ Collier. I mean, we can keep going. And then, you know, Dallas Cowboys think enough of his entire backfield to sign them all. You know, it's just all the eligible ones. So that's, that's tremendous. Um, I want to go from that to Corey Kiner, uh, who announced his commitment to LSU. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because Kamar Wheaton is expected to be down to OU, LSU, and SMU. And that, I don't know that that removes LSU from the, from the, the group because, you know, that think there's two spots there too, but you, know, you gotta feel like if you're DeMarco Murray, that's, okay, that's that's one more down that I don't have to worry about.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I, I feel like this has been more of a, of a OUSMU battle at this stage, from what I can gather. I mean, LSU is always going to have their say in things, but at the same time, LSU's been involved with a number of different other running backs on the trail, so them getting one of their guys to me indicates that maybe Kamar Whedon's exploring the options of the other two that we're mentioning, and I know SMU has been pushing hard. The Preston Stone effect is very real right now. If they're able to pull off the recruiting class that that coaching staff is hoping to get, wow. I mean, then then we're talking about SMU being one of the main powers in the state of Texas, even though recently they've been probably one of the more cool highlight names to mention. I think right now, though, for me, Kamar Wheaton and OU is just a bigger deal. I mean, look, if Oklahoma is going to go all in on this guy, as I expect them to moving forward, you'd be hard-pressed not to convince me that he wouldn't end up in an OU uniform. So I think at the end of the day, this is a good sign for Sooner fans. I think Kamar Whedon has obviously been RB1 on that board for a little while, outside of Trayvon Henderson, of course. And once things kind of sorted out the way that they did, I mean, Kamar Wheaton has just become a major priority. And so this helps Oklahoma Sooners in that race. And I think moving forward, it's going to be an SMU-OU brawl for his commitment.
1: Yeah, and... and- I'd really like to see some some tremendous momentum in the form of, you know, inked, or not inked, as close to inked as we can get with the promise of being public, of commitments for Oklahoma. But I'm also, I'm, it's a difficult thing to talk around, even as I'm going, you need to start showing. Because Tennessee's got 21 in the boat, right? And they picked up 11 in the past, I want to say two weeks, and then three in the past 24 hours, including top dual threat kid out of the 2021 class in Caden Salter at quarterback that said it's not a whole bunch of blue chippers in there uh you usually need about 20 to be considered a a, a top two top three class but Oklahoma's still sitting on f- five Cullen Monca- five. yeah five okay cool I was gonna count them out so I uh, you, you as much as I know that Riley gets to do what Riley needs to do and I'm thinking I'm gonna write a piece around this about the reasons to be optimistic about this because he's closed strong without a defensive coordinator before he usually gets the guys that he wants to get a lot of Mike stoops, but still like because it's so weird and because we're seeing commitments without visits, it's, it's hard to call. You know what I mean? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. It's anyone that wants to say you have absolutely no idea how this thing could go on the recruiting trail in terms of commitments for Oklahoma. It's, it's fair to say because, We've never dealt with circumstances like this before. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, we have no idea what Lincoln Riley's course of action is, even if he's perceived as the favorite for Kamar Weiss. Because you can't get the kid on campus. You can't get this guy in the running back room. You can't have a meeting DeMarco Murray face-to-face. This is still kind of the square one, even though he's sorting out his side of things a little bit more forward. So, look, I, I think it- you bring up a great point. The recruiting world is a different time right now because Mm -hmm. no matter how many top lists these guys release or how much we think the end is coming, it's really on these kids because part of the recruiting world is these programs and coaches convincing them to commit. Well, you can only do that so much when you're FaceTiming. You know what I'm saying? You don't have the glitz and glam of the on-campus experience. So that's what's fascinating to me is the lack of commitments we continue to talk about, in my opinion, is just because – At the end of the day, this recruiting situation is calling for the prospects to finally make that decision. It's really those guys finally making the decision without a lot of those experiences or talks with the coaches and programs that come with it. So at that reason, I would say you just never know. And that's why, in my opinion, I'm still going to have SMU as a strong contender for Kamar Whedon, and I'm still going to say, look, You you may not see some strong public commitments for Oklahoma for a while, but that's just how it is at this stage until football returns.
1: Well, and getting to that, right, Uh, Mark Emmert gave his thoughts about football returning and what it would need to look like. But the thing that I think I need to to make clear to, to most people is, like, the NCAA does not have a whole hell of a lot to say about who plays and doesn't play FBS football. It's really about the conference commissioners and their athletic directors. And the idea that you might see abbreviated seasons, say on the West Coast, like California, Oregon, where governors are, are much more uh, staunch in their belief that we can't have any sort of uh, groups together, or places in the Southeast, or even Oklahoma, where you're much more likely to see, hey, we're we're gonna play, we're gonna play our season, right? If you don't want to play your season, we're not gonna, we can't make you, but we're gonna play our season. Meaning, what if you get 12 games out of Oklahoma and just nine out of uh, Oregon? Right. I think that changes the recruiting trail because you've had more opportunities for A, one visits and B, to be seen. You know, like one of the reasons that SMU is in this thing with Kamara Wheaton is because TV, right? Lots of their games were mm-hmm. on TV last year. And when they had opportunities, they showed out. I mean, hell, the Memphis SMU game got flexed into the Saturday night seven o'clock game. Now it was a week weekend, but still. And it turned out to be a very good football game like an outstandingly good football game and I wonder you know like if you're in the American where Mike Resco has been like I don't know what we're gonna do if SMU can't play its uh its entire non-conference schedule how does that fit and if OU can and you know watching Zach Evans go against uh Southern Methodist in a non-con in you know Gerald Ford Stadium might do something for Kamar Wheaton on the other hand watching Tennessee come up to Owen Field to play Oklahoma and see what Kennedy Brooks can do might do something for him so I'm I'm fascinated on that front because I think we're gonna get football now for me it's a question of where
0: (laughs) and and it would create a massive competitive imbalance if you will and it's exactly what you're touching on at the end of the day it's how much can you showcase your product Mm -hmm. either on television or in person to these kids and if Oklahoma gets a 12-game slate, I mean, no one in the entire OU fan base should be worrying a drop because mm-hmm. if Lincoln Riley gets to have those kids on campus, 12 opportunities, he gets to be on television 12 times or whatever, then he's going to be able to pull off some eyes. That, that being said, that's where the other factors come in. Does SMU have similar opportunities? Do you? maybe like a, a USC or some of the West Coast powers that Oklahoma battles on the recruiting trail. Hmm. See some limited chances. That's when you really should see, in my opinion, Oklahoma, Alabama, some of these teams were waiting to explode, really start to take off. And it's also, again, like I mentioned in the last podcast, where you could probably see some of these bigger classes for schools you maybe didn't expect taper off. I mean, if Tennessee and North Carolina got to go play a whole 12-game slate I'm sorry, but I'm expecting some slip-ups. I I don't know that I can really believe those guys are going to have as strong of a season as the recruiting class might indicate. So at the end of the day, that's something that I don't think we're talking enough about, and I'm glad you brought it up because what could happen in terms of limiting schedules and opportunities for some of these teams also would very much impact the world of recruiting for each program.
1: I wanted to touch a bit on Spencer Rattler and Heisman odds that have come out because he's he's in them. And I'm going to go down this list or I should say perhaps up this list and touch on each one of these prospects that is getting odds from William Hill, which does a, a really good job of keeping an eye on these sorts of things. So this is Vegas, right, for all intents and purposes. At the bottom of this list of the highest profile candidates is Ian Book at plus 2800. How do you feel about that, Collin? Uh,
0: I mean, I can see it. I mean, Ian Book isn't exactly my kind of quarterback. I think he's kind of left some things on the table at Notre Dame, but I understand the reasoning.
1: Mm-hmm. And then Miles Brennan is also getting the same odds as Ian Book.
0: I would be hesitant, but I also understand it because of the program hype surrounding LSU. The changing and passing game coordinators obviously would stand out to me. But at the same time, if you're taking over the starting quarterback role at LSU and have Jamar Chase on the outside, I understand it.
1: Okay, so Mac Jones, Travis Etienne, and Chuba Hubbard all at plus 2,200.
0: Of that group, Mm -hmm. I would say Etienne and and Chuba Hubbard would be my favorites. Mm -hmm. I think Hubbard, at the end of the day, is the absolute standalone guy. But at the same time, I mean, what did Hubbard finish last year? Fourth or fifth? Somewhere close if he couldn't put up even more statistical ridiculousness than he did a season ago, I still have a hard time believing he'll end up in New York because these days it's nearly impossible for a running back to pull that kind of award off.
1: And even then you need to be playing for national championships. Cause like JK Dobbins goes for 2000 yards. He can't get invited. Um, Mac Jones, I think of that group actually has the best shot because Travis ETM plays with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Ross, but also because Mac Jones is probably going to start the season as the starter at Alabama and if he's as good as, you know, uh, he needs to be for them to win a national championship, he'd be there at the end. I just don't know that that he is though. I picked them to win the national championship, but I've also thought that Bryce Young's probably going to be playing in that game. Um Derek King at plus 2000
0: Dear King in Miami is fascinating. I don't think we talk about it enough because what the heck is about to happen between him and the Canes? Mm. I, I understand that he is an elite dual threat talent, but he's going to have to be able to show to us that he stayed in shape with that long break and that he can still handle the speed of the game. So I, I, I would have him on a list. I wouldn't have him towards the top of a list because of some of the other quarterbacks across the country.
1: Well, uh, Sam Ellinger just ahead of him at plus eighteen hundred. That one's kind of surprising to me, but nobody wants Sam Ellinger in this list more than media types. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
0: anyone is going to benefit from Sam Ellinger being on any sort of list, right? I mean, he is a conversation hot topic. I would also say, I mean, look, if, if I had to tell you which quarterback is going to have a better chance to in between Derek King and Sam Ellinger, I don't think it would be that much of a stretch to say it's Ellinger at this. Stage because I mean Miami's just frankly been maybe even more disappointing than Texas and they've also played in a pretty bad conference out in the ACC so I would put Ellinger ahead of King I also see the reasoning but I mean still I you know I'm not putting a whole bunch of stock in
1: well Spencer Rattler's getting better odds than Sam Ellinger and Dear King and Travis Etienne and Ian Book at plus 1200 <laughs> yo out the box man
0: dude uh hey how good is lincoln riley at his job because i mean this is all buying into what mr headman can do with this youngster look i, I know that maybe rattler benefited from some of those off-season viral videos going around where he's throwing no-look passes and jump throws like Derek jeter but we also know very much who his offensive coordinator and leader is going to be the guy that just put three nfl quarterbacks out there in the league so I'm excited to see him, man. I think he's definitely has a shot to be somewhere in the standing. I don't know how high. I mean, I feel like he could easily sneak into that top 10. But I mean, for him to be, what, number four right now, that to me is just mind numbing and incredulous when you think about what Riley can do when he has the guy who hasn't even started a game and the guy is already in a conversation for the most prestigious award in college football.
1: No, I think you also kind of touched on a part of Vegas that I really enjoy is that they pay attention to everything. Um, and some of the and lots of these odds are, are noted on. Yeah, who who could win it? But also, what does the public? What is the public likely to think about this? Right. So Rattler having these Patrick Mahomes style throws out here, where he's throwing balls behind the back for forty yards, and he's tossing them seventy one yards through the air. And the kind of energy that he possesses. I mean, it. it mean, you could could draw a line from him to Patrick Mahomes if you wanted to, right? Before Patrick Mahomes, though, you'd have drawn a line to Baker Mayfield. Just energetic, live arm, understands his function in the offense, understands that, you know, his coordinator is the best in the country, his quarterback coach is the best in the country, and that guy happens to be the head coach as well. Now I'm with you on that. Um, Jamie Newman at plus 1,000, Trevor Lawrence at plus 400, and Justin Fields at plus 350.
0: I was about to say, I feel like I have a guess. Of who the rest might be. I mean, right. Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields would be the two guys that I'm definitely looking at. Newman to me is fascinating and maybe not for the reasons that I would believe he's on this list. Mm. I know everyone sees, okay, a quarterback who had a really good statistical season at Wake Forest goes to a program of note in the Georgia Bulldogs. But Time I mean, I are we ever going to acknowledge the fact that the Georgia Bulldogs are prehistoric in offensive schematics? I mean, what the heck are we thinking when it comes to, okay, a, a high-profile quarterback is now going to be in that system. Will Georgia actually let him throw the ball? I know they've made some changes on that offensive staff. That, to me, will be really telling and determining in terms of how Newman actually contends for the Heisman Trophy. But, I mean, they're going to have to let this kid swing it. And they also have a ton of really good running backs on that roster. So I, I'm fascinated by how Georgia's is going to – sort through the weapons they have and then utilize it effectively because, I mean, if we're being honest, given the fact that Newman's now at a major platform and he's the kind of player that he is, yeah, he has a shot. But at the end of the day, I mean, Fields and Lawrence, we don't have to go on much here. Those two are the guys at the top and they'll be battling out as college football goes on.
1: Uh, One point on store brand Cam Newton, a.k.a. Jamie Newman. Uh, Todd Munkin is the offensive coordinator and Munkin turned West Lunt and Oklahoma State into 550 yards offense a game. So I don't think that Todd Munkin takes the job without going up to Kirby and going, I'm running my offense. And, he, and him going, yep, yeah, that's exactly what I want you to do. I understand that, you know, you got five tailbacks back there that absolutely can do whatever they want with a football. But in this offense, we're gonna throw it, we're, we're going to throw it vertically. And I need a quarterback that's going to be able to do that. And I want to do that. And with this offensive line, we ought to be able to do whatever the hell we want. So I'm excited about that because, like, Munkin's coming from Cleveland where Nick Chubb was second leading rusher in all of football. So we know that, yeah, he understands what to do with the tailback, but he also had Baker Mayfield as a quarterback. So, I mean, that fits for me. I I expect an offensive renaissance at Georgia because if they're still playing murder ball, Todd Munkin's probably going to leave. He's not going to get fired. He's just going to quit. Because that's just not who he is. You know, that guy wants to get vertical with the football.
0: Hey, I, I hope that is the situation you're describing. And I hope that if the result is what you're depicting, then he would leave as well. Because, my goodness, they need to do some sort of turnover with all the weapons they have in Georgia. And I think that Munkin is definitely the guy that can pull it off.
1: Uh, before we get out of here, I do want to touch on one bit of high-profile transfer news. Um, uh, Tallulah of Aloa announced that he is entering the transfer portal last Friday. And the reason I'm bringing this up now is because now I, I kind of wrote down a list of potential spots for him to land, and I wanted to run them by you if I could. Yeah, let's we'll do it. So the first place is Miami. Uh, one, his brother's already there. They're a very close family. They moved to Tuscaloosa as a group, right? He goes to Thompson High School where he turns himself into a four-star quarterback and you know gets an offer and then signed by... Nick Saban, he's about two inches shorter than his brother, about 5'10", 5'11". Good footwork, not a great arm. I I thought looking at him at the opening final in 2018 that I was like, yeah, it's good business to be to his brother right now because he just didn't look like there was a whole lot to him. But then you see him move around uh, in garbage time, and I'm going, okay, I kind of see it. That said, uh, De'Arick King is definitely gone after this season. And what's what's your backup plan at Miami? What do you think?
0: I think that would definitely be a smart move. I think Miami would be very welcoming if they were able to take him. And obviously Miami was one of those programs that was in on Jalen Hurts because of some of the ties that that coaching staff has to the University of Alabama. So, uh, hey, look, I mean, look, they hired Lashley, if I remember correctly, from SMU. Lashley is a guy at at offensive coordinator who I am very high on. I think he is a guy who can really get the most out of Derek King. And he would definitely be able to get the most out of the younger Tigers, I love So I think that would be a really nice fit, and it would definitely help Miami feel a little bit better about their future at the quarterback position.
1: The other place that I had on the list was USC. I understand that you know they they got uh, Jack Garcia coming in, and I I know what kind of an athlete Keaton Slovis showed himself to be. However, uh, they have West Coast roots. I mean, they're they're from Hawaii, so I mean that's not even West Coast. Twenty five hundred miles west of the West Coast, and really Clay Helton has done a great job of welcoming in uh, younger transfers, Chris Steele among them, uh, along with Bryce, uh, Bryce, uh, Brew McCoy. Bryce Young was committed. I just thought it was a good landing spot for him and a place for him to develop and perhaps uh, flourish in Graham Harrell's system.
0: I I would agree. I think he went from one coast to the other for a good reason. I I would say you don't make that kind of move from where he is now to, all the way out there, unless you know, you can make it work. And I mean, look, Graham Harrell, that offensive system works. I've seen it in person at North Texas. And I think we've all kind of see it flourish at USC and having a a talent like Tagler, it's only going to help it run even more efficiently. So I think USC would be a nice fit. And I think it also helps a ton that you make that transition, knowing that USC has really picked it up on the recruiting trail. You know, I, I wouldn't, maybe be as high on a move like that a, a couple of years ago because of where the Trojans were at. But now that you can really see USC gaining momentum and bringing in high profile players again, I mean, who wouldn't want to join the Trojans at this stage? That's a program that went at its best. It's one of the better in college football. So I think it would be a very nice fit for him if, he, if he's able to eventually take over the starting role and then work in Harold's office.
1: Uh, one that I thought just made too much sense and just kind of made me get it when I wrote it down was Ole Miss. Uh, just a hop skip and a jump from Tuscaloosa, uh, playing for uh an offensive coordinator that knows exactly what that that offense was and can do, and helped in the recruitment of one to a Tonga Valoa, and probably is familiar with the Tonga Valoas as a group. I just, it, it, Miss Ole, Ole Miss also just had Jordan Tamu come through, who beat out Shea Patterson, probably beats him out again at Kansas City if we're being fair, for the starting job. We know that they'll open up the offense, and I mean. Uh, Who's gonna compete with him right now? Like John Rice Plumley is is a decent enough quarterback, but I I'd even say he's a better baseball player than he is a quarterback, and his value is on the perimeter. It's not necessarily throwing the football.
0: Yeah, I think right now, when you look at Ole Miss, they they were able to steal away North Texas' top quarterback commit and K to Renfro in twenty twenty, but I also am not entirely sure how much they believe that Renfro is going to be their starter of two, three, four years. So in that respect, I think getting a guy that you know is a proven commodity in Tagovailoa would be incredibly intriguing. Now, obviously, the in-conference transfer is a whole different sort of hurdle to jump, but if Ole Miss were able to pull it off and they were to convince Tagovailoa to join the program, I think it would very much add some welcome dead for that quarterback. I mean, Plumlee is a the guy they're incredibly high on over there. I-, I would understand why. I mean, he has some solid tools in terms of running and throwing, but I also believe that a little bit of added competition would be very welcoming for the Rebels. So if they can get him, I mean, hey, by all means, I would think it's a nice fit.
1: Uh, obligatory, he's not going to OU segment. You got one of those? <laughs>
0: He is not going yeah. to Oklahoma, right. but hey, if he ends up in Maryland, like everyone thinks he might,
1: then maybe that's another domino fall, and everyone wants to hear. Oh, good God! Oh man, uh, that is Colin Kennedy. Follow him on Twitter at c kennedy two four seven. That's c kennedy two four seven. I have deleted my Twitter account, and Tuitonga below is going to Auburn because that's 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 a sexier story. <laughs> Thanks, Colin. I
0: love it. Thanks, man.